I want you to imagine with me this morning a life without music. A life without music. Now, we are quite a ways into this worship service and just about the entire service thus far, majority of it has been music, but imagine if there had been no music. Most of us, the first words that we heard as babies were lullabies, either being played to us or sung to us by a parent. So we were conditioned with music from the get-go. But just imagine a life without music. No rhythm, no energy. I mean, just playing all the time. The fruit of the Spirit is the music of our walk with Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is the spiritual music of the body of Christ. Now, we tend, over the last 30 or so years in in American Christianity, we have put a tremendous amount of emphasis on spiritual gifts. And if you go home this afternoon, or even just sitting there in the pew, don't do this, but I'm just saying if you did do it, all right, and you pulled up on your iPhone spiritual gift survey, you, are, you would find that there is one survey after another survey after another survey that you can take on figuring out what your spiritual gifts are. And we've been sweating bullets for years trying to figure out what our spiritual gifts are. But we put almost no emphasis on the fruit of the Spirit. And yet, all the gifting in the world without the fruit is like a Christian life with no music. You see, we can have all the equipment in our gifting, but if we don't have any rhythm, if there's no energy, there's no cadence, then all that gifting does is absolutely no good. And so what we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks is the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to take each of the fruits, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at them, what they mean, and then we're going to look at a character or two from the Scriptures who demonstrate what it means to have that fruit, how they lived it out. And I've intentionally picked out some figures along the way that demonstrate these fruits in sort of an unusual way that maybe we wouldn't anticipate. Today we're going to look at a couple from the book of Romans, Priscilla and Aquila, and how they lived out the fruit of love. So turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, the book of Galatians chapter 5. Paul is writing here to the church at Galatia. And the focus of this book is freedom. He's saying in this book, I want you to understand what spiritual freedom is. Christ has set you free, and He set you free from the power of sin and the results of sin, guilt, shame, etc., and trying to live a legalistic existence to please God. He set you free from all of that, but He hasn't set you free just to sit around and say, I'm free. He has set you free to live in and live out the freedom that God has for you. And part of living that freedom out, a huge part of it, is learning to live out the fruit of the Spirit. God's work that He produces in your life by the fruit of the Spirit. Now, Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 18... 
Paul is going to begin by talking about the works of the flesh. In other words, when you and I, when we, when we get in control and we take over our own lives, what we do, and he's going to contrast that with the work of the Spirit. So let's begin with verse 18 of Galatians chapter 5. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he notice this contrast. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now what Paul does here is he lists with the works of the flesh. And it doesn't take a whole lot of work to figure out what those are. We, we do a pretty good job of messing around in that stuff without any help. But then he moves to this is what the fruit of the Spirit is. Now my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin. I invite you to follow along with me if you will. First question I want to address is what is the fruit of the Spirit? If you walk up to an apple tree, peach tree, pear tree, etc., you're going to see fruit hanging off of that tree. And that fruit is produced by the energy that is inherent in that tree or in that plant. And the idea of the fruit of the Spirit is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. When the Holy Spirit has His will and His way inside of us, the fruit of the Spirit is going to be produced. Now, please follow me on this, and I encourage you to write this down. The evidence of the Spirit's filling is the fruit of the Spirit, not necessarily the gifts of the Spirit. If I want to know if I am living in and under the control of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God is filling me, the evidence of that is going to be the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we tend to a lot of times think it's the gifting of the Spirit, but you see, I can be gifted, tremendously gifted, and yet not be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to look at it, but over in the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians, that was the exact problem with the church at Corinth. They had all kinds of spiritual gifts, but they were using them in an ungodly way because they weren't filled with the Spirit, even though they were gifted by the Spirit. So you can be potentially gifted by the Spirit of God. He gives us spiritual gifts when we begin to follow Him, but that doesn't mean that we've got the fruit of the Spirit in us. Now, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is produced by the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit, all of the fruits of the Spirit, we're going to look at love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, gentleness, etc. All of those are to be in our lives. The Spirit of God produces all of those in our lives. Now, the Spirit doesn't give all of the gifts to each of us. Each of us has one, two, maybe three or four gifts, but we don't have all the gifts. No one Christian does but the Spirit works to produce all of the fruit in us. So I may say, well, you know, I'm not too much into the gentleness thing. And the Spirit of God says, yeah, but if you let me take authority and control of your life, I'm going to produce gentleness into your life. Well, I'm not very patient, and I'm not too much into having patience, but if I'm living under the control of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to produce patience in me. 
All of the fruits of the Spirit are going to be produced in our lives if we are under the control of the Holy Spirit. And again, the way that I know that the Spirit of God is filling my life is not a feeling I have. It's not spiritual gifts I have. It is rather spiritual fruit. You know, and I sort of wish it was the other way around. Because it'd be much easier to walk around and say, look at all of my gifts. That must mean I'm filled with the Spirit. But when i got to look at my life and say, how patient was I today? How gentle was I? How much love did I demonstrate? How much self-control did I have? Sometimes that tells me a story on my lack of the Spirit taking control of my life and being filled with the Spirit. So look at those gifts as we move through them and ask ourselves the questions rather than say these fruits. Am I demonstrating those because that's going to be the barometer as to whether the Spirit of God is filling me or not. Now, we're going to look today at the first of those fruits, which is the fruit of love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And there's a reason he mentions that one first. Because of all the fruits, love is the fruit that most demonstrates the presence of God in my life. And most mimics the Lord. Now, when Paul wrote this, there were several Greek words used for love. One of those was phileo. It meant to be naturally drawn to somebody, to have a concern and a care for somebody. And then there was the word eros, from which we get erotic. It meant to have a longing and a craving and a desire for something or for someone. So those first two, are, we look at a person and, you know, we say we got feelings for somebody. That's eros. Or we say, man, I'm, you know, I really enjoy hanging out with that person, and we just seem to click. That's phileo. That's just a natural drawing we have to that person. We just sort of follow them with them naturally, and we're friends with them. That's not the word that he uses here. The New Testament writers took a, little, a Greek word, agape, which was not being used hardly at all at that time, and that was the word they pulled out to speak of the love of God and to speak of this fruit of the Spirit. The word agape means love that is an act of will. In other words, I am choosing to love somebody. I don't I'm not necessarily drawn to them. I'm not necessarily wanting to hang out with them and be with them. I have no feelings for them whatsoever. In fact, the feelings I may have for them are not good feelings that I have when I see them. Have you ever had people in your life that if you're going down the hallway, you see them, you try to find a way to duck into a broom closet or get in the bathroom or anything you can do to get away from that person? And this idea of agape love is I choose to keep going down the hallway. I choose to reach out to them. I choose to try to motivate myself to have some type of friendship with them. That is the love of God. Stephen Neal uh, described this love this way. It is a steady direction of the will toward another person's lasting good. A steady direction of the will toward another's lasting good. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's choosing to be kind to people that I don't want to be kind to. It's choosing to slow down in life and not be so busy that I don't have time for people particularly the people that don't really seem to bring any value to my life. Jesus demonstrated this love in a story he told about a guy called a Good Samaritan. And in that story, the Good Samaritan's going down the road and he sees a guy who's been beaten up and thrown in a ditch. And the guy's laying in the ditch and he stinks and he's bleeding and he's beat up and he's a mess laying there in that hot Palestinian sun. And what does the Samaritan do? 
He gets off of his donkey. He goes down in the ditch, and he picks the guy up. He chooses to stop his day. He chooses to stop being busy. He chooses to rearrange his day. He chooses to go down in a ditch. He chooses to get in the ditch with the guy. He chooses to take what he's got and use it to bring the guy out of the ditch to get his life back together. He chooses to spend his money to put this stranger up in an inn overnight and to see for his welfare. He's choosing over and over and over again to do something he doesn't have to do, he's not required to do, he's not compelled to do, but he's choosing to do it anyway. That is the idea of this agape love. The origin of the word of this idea of love here, when he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, the origin of this love is the Lord and the Lord alone. I don't look at somebody and say, you know, they are so worthy of my love, and I enjoy being around them so much, and they do so much for me that I choose to love them. It is rather the idea that I look at that person and I'm saying, hey, I'm going to love that person. I'm going to be committed to that person. I'm going to go to the distance with that person, not because it's anything in them that draws it out of me, but simply because God is moving in me. That is the idea of the love of God. It's not the person and anything in them that's pulling it out of me. It's rather what God is doing inside of me. I want you to write this down if you would. It's not loving people's behavior. It's loving people. It's not loving people's behavior. It's choosing to love people. You see, what most of us do if we're not careful is we want to love people's behavior and not people. I always tell our mission teams when we're preparing them to go out and and, and do mission work wherever it's going to be, your calling is to love the people, not to love their behavior. If you try to love people based on their behavior, you're not going to love them very long. You see, if, if I love you because I love your behavior then as long as you behave the way I want you to behave, then I'll love you. But when you stop behaving the way I want you to behave and expect you to behave and think you should behave, then I'm going to stop loving you because the love is all based on behavior, your behavior. And that's not what he's talking about here. This fruit of the Spirit says, I love you for who you are and because God made you and God created you. I'm not loving you because you're behaving right or you're behaving the way I want you to behave. And and folks, let me tell you what God's going to do. He's going to take us as He develops this fruit in our life and He grows this fruit in our life. He's going to place people in our lives that we are going to be so turned off by their behavior. We are going to even at times almost hate their behavior. Because the way He grows this fruit in our life is by placing people in our lives that get on our nerves, that turn us off, that we don't want to have around us because God can't grow a spiritual fruit in us of love for somebody if everybody around us is somebody we're naturally drawn to. He's going to have to drop some people in our lives that we can't stand. And sometimes we're going to find ourselves saying to God, why are you putting so many difficult people in my life? Any of y'all ever said that to the Lord? God, why are you putting so many screwed up people in my life who are giving me so much grief 
And God is saying, the reason I'm doing that is because if I'm going to grow a fruit in your life, if I'm going to grow love in your life, you've got to learn to choose, to choose, to choose to say, I'm not loving behavior. I am loving them. And folks, every time God wants to grow you, grow you in a ministry or wherever he's going to do, that's exactly what he's going to do. Not, you know, fill our lives with all kinds of wonderful people that we just naturally get along with. He's just going to drop all kinds of folks into our lives that are really going to work us over. And the reason for that is he's trying to grow that in our lives. I want you to, I don't know if you've got room to write this down or not, but let me put it to you in this context. Every relationship in life that has the potential to go the distance and have depth and quality Every relationship in life, I don't care whether you're talking marriage, you're talking parenting, if you're talking a friendship, every relationship in life that has the potential to go the distance and to have depth and quality to it is going to go through a period of testing or seasons of testing. And during those times of testing is when we're going to have to have this agape type of love. We're not going to make it in the relationship if we don't have it. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's fun. But every relationship that's going to have depth and distance to it requires that. Now, let me add something else. And I can't beg you enough to listen to what I'm going to say right now, okay? If your relationship with Jesus is going to have depth and distance to it, it's going to go through a period of testing. If your relationship with Jesus is going to have depth and distance to it, it's going to go through a period of testing. And what he's saying here is he will produce within us and grow within us not just a love for people, but a love for him. Jesus will produce in me a love for him that will go the distance and have the depth. Because follow me on this, Jesus doesn't behave the way we want him to a lot of times in our lives. And if I'm loving Jesus just because he's on good behavior for me, the way I want him to behave, then there's going to come a time when I'm going to really struggle with loving Jesus. Because I'll pray and I don't get the answer that I want. I pray and God doesn't seem to do anything. I claim promises out of God's Word, and He doesn't fulfill them on the schedule that I want Him to fulfill the promises on. There are times, folks, that all of us are going to step back and say, God didn't show up when I wanted Him to show up, and God failed when I thought He was going to come through. I know we like to have our gatherings where we talk about God came through and did this, and God came through and did that. And yes, that's wonderful. But I tell you, folks, after being a pastor for 30 years, I have sat and listened to so many people tell me God didn't come through when I thought he was going to come through. He didn't do what I thought he was going to do. God didn't behave like I thought he was going to behave. And what do you do when those times come? I've got to learn to love him with the love that he gives me and grows within me to love him. Because if I try to love Jesus just with my love, I'm never going to go the distance with that love. You see, when we, talk, when we turn and walk away from Him and don't love Him anymore, it's because we were trying to love Him with our type of love instead of loving Him with the love that He gives us and He grows within us. Now, I want us to see an example of this love. Romans chapter 16. It's a couple in the Bible named Priscilla and Aquila. Now, normally, when couples are named in Scripture, 
the man's name is mentioned first, but this couple, for some reason, it's always the lady first and the guy second. Now, women, you're going to enjoy the reason Bible scholars think Priscilla is mentioned first, okay? Now, y'all may want to take careful notes so that you can rehearse this to your husbands when you get home this afternoon as to why Priscilla, we think, is mentioned before Aquila. Number one, scholars believe the name Priscilla was a name that was used in the ancient world to speak of a woman, generally speaking, who was very well educated and sort of a leader of types. So we think she was probably better educated than her husband and was more of a business person uh, and more prominent in the community than Aquila was. In fact, Aquila was a name that was used often of slaves, so it's very possible that her husband was a slave while she was a very renowned, well-respected business lady uh, we also think there's possibility that she was a lady of financial means, and we're not too sure that Aquila was. Uh, so Aquila may have married up and married right uh, when he <laughs> married uh, Priscilla. Priscilla and Aquila. Paul, the apostle of, of God, lived with them for several months and knew them for, best we can tell from various references, for about 17 years. This couple lived in three different cities. They started out in the city of Rome. There was a persecution in Rome that drove out a lot of Christians, so they had to leave Rome. They lived in Corinth, and they lived in Ephesus. So they lived in three different cities, twice in Rome, began in Rome, ended in Rome, and in between they lived in Corinth and Ephesus. Now, what stands out about this couple that, that they are an example of love? Several things. Number one, they were willing to move when God said move. So they start out in Rome and they move to Corinth. And they meet Paul when they go to Corinth. In fact, Aquila is a tent maker and so is Paul, so we think they probably got to know each other through the tent making business. And then Paul says, I'm going to go to Ephesus and I want you y'all to come with me. I want you to help me. And so they pack up everything and they move to the city of Ephesus. And they live in Ephesus for a while. And then they eventually go back to Rome. Now, something very interesting about this couple, first of all, like I said, they're on the move with God. Every time God says to them, hey, Priscilla and Aquila, I want to use you in this town and over here, they didn't say to God, Lord, I have planted my roots over here and I can't go anywhere but Ephesus or we're going to hang out in Corinth for the rest of our life or we started out in Rome, that's the only place we can live. They were like, God, I'll move with you anytime and any place you say you want me to move. Second thing about Priscilla and Aquila, we see repeatedly in their story that whatever town that just about they go to, Paul says there's a church meeting in your house. Now, in the, in the days of the New Testament, they did not have buildings like this where you met. One of the reasons they didn't is that during the time of Roman persecution, if you met in a building like this, the Roman soldiers would come in, chop off everybody's head because they were you know, trying to wipe out the Christians. So it really didn't work too well to meet in a big building like this unless you, everybody wanted to get slaughtered at one time. You know, 
Fred could get up and sing the first few hymns, and the heads would literally start rolling in the building. And uh, so people didn't want to do that. So they would meet in house churches because it was much more difficult for the Roman government to find you if you were holed up in a house church. Uh, they didn't have all the organization, institutionalization that we've got today, so they met in house churches. And so what Priscilla and Aquila would do is they would move, for example, to Corinth, and the first thing they would do is start hosting a church in their house, which meant that probably multiple nights a week, Christians would gather in their home, and they would share a meal together, time together, their life together, etc. And then they went to Corinth, and they did the same thing in Corinth, and they did the same thing uh, in the in, in, in the city of Rome when they went to Rome. Now, what's so significant about that? Several things. Number one, in those days, when Christian leaders were moving around, there were no hotels and motels. So where did you stay? You had to stay with other Christians. That's the reason Paul stays with them for several months, maybe several years. You're hosting Christian leaders. You're making it possible for them to do the job. The other thing that you're saying is our home is a place of ministry. Our home is a place where we meet with people, we pray with people, we, we build relationships with people. We're opening up our home, and by that, we are opening up our lives. And so God used Priscilla and Aquila in a powerful way in some of the most strategic cities of the day simply because they took their home and they said, our home is a place for God to do a work. And we're going to let people come into our home. And we're going to love on people in our home. We're going to minister to people in our home. We're going to build friendships with people in our home. And our home being open to people represents that our lives are open to people. Uh, folks, I can't say this we, enough. We live in a, a society in America today where we are just taught to close off everything to other people. Have you noticed that? Our homes become fortresses that we just sort of, you know, I'm in my house now, so you better not come to my house. You better not ring the doorbell. You better not invade my space because my house is my space, and I don't want anybody invading my space. And my time is my space, so you better not invade my space. And we have all this social media that we use, which I don't know that social is really the word that ought to be used for because we seem to be breaking down in our ability to do face-to-face -face building of relationships with each other. And you see, Priscilla and Aquila were the type of people that they said, hey, after church today, come on over to our house. You know, we'll put some beans on the stove and get the cornbread going, and we're just going to hang out this afternoon and get to know each other and spend time with each other, etc. And, and, and our home is a place of ministry. However you do that, folks, I cannot underestimate the power that you've got in your hands with something as simple as your lifestyle and your home and your time, that God can take that and God can use that. Uh, Helen and I have been married going on 27 years, and, and one of the commitments we've had since the day we got married is that whatever house God placed us in, we have always viewed that house as a ministry base for us and a place to open up and say for folks to come in and to feel at home there, to feel secure there, and for us to do ministry. That, that the reason God gave us the house, wherever He's placed us, is because He wants to use that in our lives and through us as a place to minister to people however He wants to do that. It's simple. It's basic. It doesn't look like anything exciting. But believe me, God can do just such a marvelous work if you'll open your life and yes, your home, and say, God, how can we, can we make that happen? Now, one other incident in Acts chapter 18 with Priscilla and Aquila. There's a young man that shows up in their city that they're living at the time named Apollos. And they go and they hear this young man named Apollos get up, and Apollos is preaching the gospel. 
And Paulus, I mean, you want to talk about a young guy who could get up there and preach. This guy could lay it down. And people are just flocking to hear Apollos. He is articulate. He is intelligent. He is on the mark. You listen to this guy, and you know he's going places, and he's going to do things. There's only one problem with Apollos. He's got some of his doctrine screwed up because he just hadn't heard about it. And so Priscilla and Aquila listen to this young guy, and they take him aside, and they say, you know, you are so gifted, and we believe God wants to use you in such a powerful way. Well, you've got a few doctrinal things here you need to get straightened out. And they sit down with him and they carefully, compassionately teach him what he needs to learn. And he gets his act together doctrinally. And then they go the next step. He's getting ready to go to another city. And so how is he going to have credibility when he gets to this next city with the Christians over there? And, and Priscilla and Quilla by this time are known really well. So they write a letter of recommendation that he can take with him to the next city. Now, follow me on this. Priscilla and Aquila could have sat back and said, look at this young guy. Yeah, he's, he's, you know, he's got it going, but he's so screwed up in his doctrine, he's never going to amount to anything. They could have ridiculed him. They could have thrown him under the bus, but instead they chose to encourage him and walk beside him. They didn't stand back and say, you know, we've been at this business of living the Christian life for a while, and we got our act together, but old Paulus, he can't get his act together. So he's had it, so let's not even bother with him. We, you know, we're older adults, and just for, forget him. They really saw themselves as working closely with him to help him become all that God wanted him to become. And folks, that is another demonstration of God's love to come alongside folks who are just getting started, to see the abilities and the talents that they've got, and yes, to see where they're sort of messed up and screwed up and they got to get the act together, may not have all the doctrine together, etc., but to say, you know something, I'm going to come alongside that person and I'm going to work with that person and I'm going to encourage them and help them. Listen to Romans chapter 16, how he describes this couple, beginning with verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, they are vitally connected to me. Notice the next thing that he says about this couple. Who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. They risk their neck for me. Greet also, notice what he's going to say next, the church... In their house. There they go again, opening their home to the Lord. Greet the church in their house. I talked about the, the Good Samaritan earlier. We don't associate ditches with good music. But you see, when we work in the fruit of the Spirit, we bring the music of God to the ditch. Priscilla and Aquila opened their home. People came in. And the music of the Lord came to the ditches that those people were in. When Paul literally was thrown in jail, this couple brought music to his life. 
And folks, when, when God begins to grow this spiritual fruit in you, fruit of love, that agape love, He is going to call you and direct you to some people who are in ditches. To bring music to the ditch and pulling people out. He's going to encourage you to use your home, your time, as a place for His music to start playing, to impact people's lives, to change the rhythm, the cadence of their lives. And what's He going to do in His church? He wants to grow the fruit of love in us so that when we relate to each other, we don't look at each other and first see how we disagree with each other, how we don't like each other, how you're different from me, but rather we look at each other with His music, and His music says that, man, we're all created by God, and Jesus died for all of us, and the, the work of the Spirit of God in me produces His music. When that begins to happen, then we know we are filled with God's Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is not the gifts that I've got. It's not the titles and positions that I have. It's not how much knowledge is in my brain. It is how much of the fruit is being produced in my life. Let's pray. Lord, we want to ask and we want to invite you to fill us. And in filling us, to produce in us, Lord your music, Lord, to produce your love in us for other folks. Not our love, that we just naturally drawn to them and like to hang out with them, but Lord, your agape love, where we choose, we choose, Lord, to be committed with someone. We choose to go the distance with them. We choose to go down in the ditch and bring music to the ditch and try to pull them out. We choose to do that. God, help us to hear your call and to know, Lord, you, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as you produce that fruit within us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to invite you to ask Jesus to produce that in you, a love for him and a love for other folks, his agape love. And in just a moment as we sing, I want to invite you, if you're here today and need to give your life to Jesus, and as we sing, if you come, we'd love to pray with you about saying, today I want to choose to follow Jesus, belong to Him, and serve Him. If you're here and you believe that God is leading you and directing you to become part of our church family, we invite you to come. If God's speaking to you in any other way, 
you need to make that public or you just need to come and kneel around the front here and talk to the Lord, feel free. Lord, we bless you now in these moments as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing if you will and come along.